Welcome to the Freedom Founder Podcast. I'm your host, Zach Duggar. Now with me today, I have Darren. And Darren, I did not ask you how to pronounce your last name. So would you give us that right now so that my guests also know? Yes, it's Darren Huang. Darren Huang, thank you for joining me today. Now, before we get into the conversations, I want to make a statement that, you know, real estate investment in some sense, it's like buying monopoly houses, except it's actual money and you get to actually see your real net worth grow as you continue on that journey. And as we titled this episode, going from residential to commercial real estate is a completely different experience. So before we get to that, though, just talk a little bit about your initial initial entry into real estate investment as a, as a whole, or even if you did something tangential to that, how you got into real estate. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I got licensed in 2016, and I thought my path of okay. uh, you know real estate was going to be on the brokerage side. So I read yeah. uh, Gary Keller's The Millionaire Real Estate Agent, and I was like, oh my gosh, there is the plan right in front of me. This is how you do it. And so I was going to follow that book, um, basically be a broker, have some assistance, maybe get a broker's agent, build out a team, maybe even own a brokerage after that. Um, yeah. And I thought that was my path. But it wasn't until 2017, I actually picked up my first investor client and basically yep. my world got changed uh, because I was able to see a full cycle deal go through. And I was like, okay. why am I not doing this? Why am I you know, so busy doing brokerage yeah. and why, not, why am I not taking advantage of the wealth builders of real estate? Okay. So you got to see that direct example of someone in this process of real estate investment and got inspired by that person. So as you got that inspiration, how did you get knowledge so that you could actually get started yourself? Yeah. I say this guy, his name is Curtis. He sideways mentored yeah. me because yeah. I was his broker. I was adding value to his life, but also, you know, he took me through what we call a Burr strategy um, and it was yeah. on a single family home. So I got to all see right. the financial statements. I got to see the renovations. I got to see all the processes of that Burr strategy. And I'll explain yeah. that in a bit. Um, and so that gave me the confidence that, hey, this happens all the time. And he's doing this at scale. It wasn't just one at a time, but he was doing you know two or three at a time. And once again, yeah. I say he sideways mentored me. And to go back to the Burr strategy, basically that just means buy, renovate, mm -hmm. rent out, um, refinance, and then repeat. And so okay. he was able to do that on a single family home. He yeah, did have some commercial yeah. assets, but I was mainly helping him on the single family side. And uh, yeah, that just opened up my eyes, gave me inspiration and basically the roadmap, uh, just like Gary Keller's book of investments, uh, except yeah, for investments, not just for the agency side. Okay. So you got to see the direct example of him repeating that process. So the sideways mentoring, just by observation, you're learning through that approach and through those conversations you were having. So when did you buy your first property? Yeah. So towards the end of 2017, I bought my first investment property. It was a single family home in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, okay. suburb out of Tulsa. Um, and I actually brought this deal to him, but he was about $5,000 off. And so I was like, oh yeah. man, I think it's going to be a good deal. I think it, you know, if you just overcome this $5,000 um, that you can yeah. make it. But like I said, he was doing two, three, you know, four things at one time. Sure. Plus, you know, um, he had some commercial properties, he has some self-storage. So it was just like, you know, it's not really worth it. Um, and so yeah. I actually ended up taking up 
uh, and doing a creative strategy to make up for that $5,000 kind of buffer. Okay. Creative strategies. Now that's something that I don't think everyone will know what that means. So what, what's a creative strategy or in this case, what was the creative strategy to help make up that 5,000 buffer? Yeah. Yeah. So creative strategy, I just used to, um, not just the price point that, that really reflects, um, you know, how you take a property or make money on one, but also the terms and condition. And so this one was a little bit, uh, it was a little bit fun. It's called a lease with a purchase. So I okay. initially first leased the property, uh, and I just basically paid the mortgage of this guy. Um, he was negative in the hole and now he was just yep. going to make like, you know, 50 or a hundred bucks. Um, but it was a completely unlivable house. So, you know, it, it wasn't, you know, to, to the regular person, they wouldn't be able to lease it out, but I leased it, got control of it. And then had that option to purchase it after one year. So I think okay. the real numbers are, I leased it for $500 per month, which is pretty mm -hmm. crazy. I ended up coming out of my own pocket to do the renovations. And I think about three or four months into it, after the renovations were done, I got a renter in there for $1,000. So I was able okay. to sandwich the lease. Um, so it was kind of a lease on top of a lease. So I'm yep. paying him 500 bucks. The, the tenant is paying me $1,000 a month. You know, I put in my capital. And then after uh, a year, I ended up purchasing it and made up that uh, $5,000 by, you know, having to having a, a, the, the renovations done and then also having a renter in there too. Yeah. I mean, $500 difference in rent payment uh, based on our compared to what you were paying him for the lease payment, that's $6,000 course of a year. Of course, you have some additional responsibilities for uh, the, the home itself, which uh, does come at a cost. And so that results in some people getting into re commercial or I'm sorry, residential real estate and realizing that, okay, this is going to require me to get more houses than just the one. You know, I'm, I'm making making $500 a month on this, but I'm having to put out all this money towards other things, towards the house. So you needed to get more properties to then continue to increase that margin. So talk about some of those next steps in the journey and how many houses, single family specifically, that you um, had gotten to or at this point are at. Yeah, yeah. So that first investment, 2017. Once again, I loved the investment style uh, st style of uh, brokerage. So I decided yeah. to kind of cut off the retail people in my life. I would take on a mm -hmm. couple clients here and there, friends and family. Uh, but you know, the, the three reasons why I liked and wh why you know Curtis, I guess, changed my life is one, he was always buying. So you know, yeah. it wasn't uh, you know I was a young man at the time. I didn't have kids, so the amount of hours that I worked. Um, trying to find really great deals for him would always result in commission. So it wasn't just a one and done. It wasn't just people moving. Second, you know, he could care less about the wall colors. So he didn't care about the wall yeah. color, the granite color, you know, if the, the, the toilet was pink or whatever the case may be, he would yeah. just buy it. And he actually liked those things. And then the third thing was, once again, he sideways mentored me. So at that yeah. point, when I picked him up as this, my first investor client, I decided, hey, listen, let me take away all those retail clients um, and, and focus solely on investment properties. That only lasted about a year because some of the goals that I had personally for my investment was exactly what you did. So I did that first one in Broken Arrow, and then I tried to do a house hack. I did a house hack, bought another single family, and then soon enough, um, you know, I decided to basically flip-flop it. So I say I was a part-time investor, full-time broker. Then I flip-flopped it. I said full-time investor, part-time broker. Um, and yeah. that was at the end of 2018 that I made that flip-flop. And then basically 
I kind of went full time investment, uh, working only for myself and building my portfolio, um, you know, a couple months after that. Okay. Well, going back on what you said there, uh, you said you were, you, that was when you were a young man. Well, you're still a young man. You just also have kids now. So, <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, but so you, you flip flopped into full time investor, part time broker. Uh, you said 2018. Yes. 2018. Okay. Um, so as a full-time investor, um, getting into more residential real estate, uh, I want to hear a little bit more on the, the kind of numbers as far as you got one house and then you got another house. And uh, because at some point you started to identify some of the challenges with residential real estate and probably also single family that led you to the decision to move more towards the commercial real estate that is your focus now. So that part of the journey is, uh, I think, central to this topic. So let's let's hear Definitely. a little bit about, also include, if you could, this story of getting called by the police in the middle of the night, because, you know, I'd like to hear how that came about and why, why are the police calling you? Yeah. So, I mean, that's like the rite of passage. I'll save that story for later. But yeah, just along those lines of what you're saying is just that I was just shown this path of residential real estate. If I was shown yeah. a different path, I'm sure I'd be doing that or I would have started my career in that. But, yeah. you know, um, you know, listening to everybody, especially bigger pockets being influenced by financial freedom, that was kind of what I was seeking for in, in my uh, residential investing. So basically, I just needed to stack houses. And then boom, when a roof needed to be put on, great, the cash flow gets negative for one year. So mm -hmm. I always thought in the a form of a portfolio. And so I said, hey, listen, if I have 10 of these, then yeah, if I need to put a roof on one of, then that's okay. I'll still be able to make up for that fact. But guess what? After you have 10 rentals, then you need to, you know, have a little bit of time. So I maybe hit that that financial goal, but then I didn't have the time freedom. And so it kept okay. on stacking to where I was having that time freedom and then the balance of, you know, the actual financial freedom after I hired my first leasing agent. Then I was like, okay, well, I need to make some more investments or, you know, flip a couple of these houses to then pay for this person. And so it just kind of became a teeter totter of time freedom and financial freedom. But, you know, you kind of alluded to, the, the headaches of residential real estate. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in, in residential real estate, the leases are called modified gross. It is the landlord's responsibility for the property insurance. It's the landlord's and, uh, you know, the property owner's, uh, you know, uh, designation for the property insurance. So you have to pay for that. And then also you have to kind of deliver things on a silver platter. You have to fix any repairs. If they clog the yeah. toilet, they're calling you. If they need a new mm -hmm. dishwasher, they're calling you. And so um, yep. a lot of those repairs, maintenance and capital expenditures really take off the, the top line, even as you uh, right. gain more and more. And so that kind of led to a critical point where I wanted to get scale and uh, get into commercial uh, real estate. Okay. So commercial real estate, for those that don't know, I mean, a lot of people, I think, think about commercial real estate as offices or uh, maybe re retail only. Uh, for you, what was your first entrance into commercial real estate? Yeah, my first uh, entry into for commercial real estate was multifamily. Um, okay. You know, I, 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 that was the kind of the, the thing that makes sense to a lot of people's minds is uh, a six unit. I sold that one and then I, I actually ended up buying a 25 unit mobile home park. And, you know, I thought my path was going to be residential commercial real estate. So yeah. think of, you know, our, uh, 
uh, mobile home parks, multifamily, which is apartment complexes, maybe some mixed use in there, building community and stuff like that. And so yeah. in 2022, when I was initially shifting into commercial real estate, um, you know, I thought that was my path, maybe something cool, like a big value add, like an office to an apartment complex a conversion. I thought that would be something right up my alley. Yeah. Um, but sure. unfortunately, uh, not for unfortunately, but um, hindsight is, uh, uh, fortunately, some of those bids didn't yeah. never went through and I found industrial real estate. Okay. Yeah. And this would also lead to that conversation about getting contacted by the police. Did that relate to the mobile home park or was that related to another residential asset? Um, that's I'll, I'll be honest. That was the, like the stereotypical mindset that that comes to is like, Oh yeah, maybe there's probably some, some issues in, in the mobile home park setting. Um, but I don't think that's always the case. And it's always, uh, surprising when you hear about the actual circumstances. So what, what, were, yeah, what was so, the story behind that? Yeah, I f totally forgot about that story. So thanks for bringing it up. Um, yeah, that story was, was really interesting. It, it, it seemed like a, a christening moment because of it's a rite of passage on the residential <laughs> side of things. You hear of these stories being told and you're like, oh, this has never happened to me. You know, I run a really yeah. good operations. But basically, I remember it pretty clearly. It was the middle of the night. Um, you know, I got a call and, you know, it was just vibrating. And then another call and then another call. And I was like, OK, this is this is serious. This is something that's happened. I I, I pick it up. And, you know, by that time, you know, my wife and I are awake um, and, and, you know, like, hello, who is this? It's the police. So yeah. the police thought that one of my tenants shot another uh, person. And they're asking oh. me and badgering me. And I'm like, I don't know. Like, I'm trying to, like, run through the, the systems and procedures. Like, okay, what's your name? What's your badge number? And I'm trying to, like, write it down. And it's the middle of the night. And, and trying to get, like, the full picture. It's like, okay, you thought that this person that lives in one of my rentals shot another person? Like, is mm -hmm. it just, you know? And so I, I really didn't know the navigation of, of what to do in that, in that case. Um, but, you know, I was just really scared. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to get sued. Like, all these waves of just, like, just things of you freaking out happen. And, um, yeah. yeah. And, uh, yeah. What was it? The most stressful thing? No. And, and it didn't, it, it happened to where like he, he didn't shoot the person. And so everybody just kind of <laughs> left, the police just kind of right. left. And so, but it was just a shocking moment. And it's just one of those things that you have to take care of as, as a, uh, as a, uh, landlord. Um, and yeah. so, yeah, it was kind of funny because I was like, yes, it's my, it's my rite of passage, but the, also at the same time, it's like, why, why is this? So why does this have to be a rite of passage for, yeah, for right. a guy? <laughs> right. Absolutely. Yeah. I've heard of a story in, in an apartment complex, a larger apartment complex and some crime and some challenges that the new owner had to overcome to help make that asset more profitable and make it more desirable for new people to want to live in that environment. And so there are circumstances that happens in commercial as well, but in residential in particular, I mean, you, you have people late at night doing things that they probably shouldn't be doing always, and they act in certain ways they shouldn't and just facts of life. But so that rite of passage passed. Now, thankfully, <laughs> it wasn't your uh, tenant who had shot somebody. Um, very glad to hear that. But it also did give you that thought to move into or consider that um, other side of commercial real and other side of commercial real estate and uh, the triple net space and industrial space. And um, so where did that move you to and what type of assets are you now looking at? 
Yeah, so definitely. Like, yeah, in 2022, I was thinking, hey, I want to do scale. I want to, yeah. you know, buy uh, larger things so that I can syndicate funds or, you know, raise capital mm -hmm. and buy bigger things. And so initially, like I kind of mentioned before, I was looking at multifamily, so apartment complexes. I was also looking at conversions, like office conversions, just because we were okay. in the tail end of the conver uh, the, the pandemic. Luckily, none yeah. of those bids went went through. And I, I just started researching all of the commercial uh, asset classes. And, yep. um, you know, throughout the uncovery, you know, literally, you know, 2021, I had no idea what uh, industrial real estate was. Right. And, you know, it just seemed like, I don't, I don't get it. This is, this is kind of weird. Like, I don't even understand who are the tenants and why would you even pursue something like this? Because I got everything else. I got office space. I got retail. Yep. You know, a shop wants to yep. be in a real place. You know, you want to sell things out of this. Um, multifamily. Yeah, people want to rent apartments and have nice communities, different things like that. And so everything made sense to me except for industrial. Like, what, like yeah. what is this asset class? And so, but un under uh, uncovering a lot of that, um, some of that negligible kind of thing, just knowledge and education, um, I, I was... I was floored away by it and it fits my personality. And it, I believe that some of the economical headwinds are, you know, undeniable. So I decided to jump in full in 2022. Um, we bought about a hundred thousand square feet, um, a little over of that uh, in 2022 okay. and now in 2023. Um, yeah. We're hopefully going to buy a little bit more, even though it's a little bit more challenging now, but yeah. Okay. What are some of the advantages that you see in your strategy and that fit your personality for industrial space versus residential space. Yeah. Yeah. I'll break it down. Let me break down like industrial real estate as a yeah. whole, and then I'll kind of go into some of the economical headwinds that I believe are, are okay. really interesting. So yeah, industrial real estate, what is it? Um, it's actually the largest asset class uh, commercially um, in uh, United States. Okay. Compare that to office space, office retail space, space, multifamily space. Industrial is the largest one. It's kind of the sleeping giant. It's the machine behind the machine. And so yeah. there's three categories of industrial real estate. One is warehousing. So at the very top level, think of like Amazon or FedEx or USPS, a ton of storage, a lot of pallets and a lot of things moving around, typically by trucks, uh, by semi-trucks. Um, and so, you know, on the, on the smaller scale, think of, you know, that, that package or warehouse that maybe, um, you know, I have a, a tenant that makes soaps and bath bombs. And so they package okay. it up together and then they have a warehouse component that just stores goods. Um, so yeah. the second one, so the first is distribution and warehousing. Second is manufacturing. That's kind of what most people think when it comes to, uh, industrial real estate, this is, sure. you know, maybe heavy use, heavy power, turning raw goods yep. into something else. So a lot of it is sometimes machinery. Sometimes it's like working with metal. I don't know why, but I always think of like the welder and like lots of sparks and flying. Sometimes it's complicated like that, but sometimes it's like food products too. So like, think of like yeah. lemonade how does that get manufactured um yeah. you know at the store um and the third one is flex space so that's kind of a catch-all it has a pretty wide range of whatever it means from you know a yeah. scientific research uh, facility that needs like heated and cooled and laboratories and like stuff like that um all the way to you know what i use as an example is sherwin williams you know they have mm -hmm. a retail showroom in the front maybe some offices then they mix the paint and you know, manufacture it and then of course they have all the 50 gallon drums that are huge and that is the warehouse yeah. space too so yeah. that's kind of a catch-all and those are the three things of industrial real estate that i i usually like to tell people so they have kind of a frame of reference okay all right. So as 
we now have some familiarity, kind of frame of reference for what it is. What do you see as the advantages to industrial real estate and some of those economic headwinds that you've mentioned that you, mm -hmm. you foresee coming in? Yeah. So on a very macro level, I kind of just use this as like, hey, this is happening on a national scale. And yeah. here are some of the drivers. Um, so in different asset classes, whether it be distribution or manufacturing, some of those things um, might not apply, but it's on a macro level. So first is e-commerce. Okay. So the rise of e-commerce, you know, 30 years ago, there wasn't a need to put a package on your doorstep in two days or less. Um, right. Now that is the standard. So, yep. um, uh, you know, people, if I was to ask someone just even off the street, hey, listen, do you think that e-commerce is going away? Of course not. It's mm -hmm. not going away. And then the second right. question I would ask is, do you think it's going to be like, are, are things going to be bought more online or less online? And most likely they're going to say in the next 10 years, more of that is going to be bought online. So that's just a yeah. headwind. And that is tied to consumer, you know, um, you know, database and just like uh, how, how consumers are uh, buying things too. So sometimes if it is uncertain and things like that, there might not be as much consumerism going on. But, you know, on a scale right. of 10 years, I think it's going to be greater. So that's the first thing, e-commerce. And that really influences the warehouse space, typically large distribution. But, you know, rising tide raises all ships. Yeah. The second is um, uh, uh, what's called onshoring. And so this kind of hits the manufacturing side of things during covid um, a lot of things shut down. And especially yeah. when we sent a lot of the manufacturing overseas, uh, we weren't able to get it. So one, their country was actually shut down. So China, Taiwan, places like that was actually shut down. And then the logistic nightmare of coming through a port that was right. clogged without that stuff. Yes. So it's like, hey, I, I, I want to sell that thing that's right there. I can't get it, yep. though. Um, a lot of companies are looking at onshoring, which is, just means that they're going to be taking back their manufacturing to Mexico, uh, United States, maybe Canada and stuff like that. Okay. And so there's a big yep. wave of these companies coming back and onshoring their manufacturing facilities so that they have more, more control. And, you know, okay. I just kind of liken it to, hey, listen, it doesn't matter if it's cheaper if you can't sell it, if you don't have it, then what's yep. the point of it being cheaper for you, right? And right. so I think a lot of people kind of just got hit in the face with that. And that's exactly what happened. Yeah. So they're like, okay, yeah, we can pay a, a little bit more 10, 20, 30% more, but you know, we're going to still be able to make money on it. So yeah. uh, that was the second thing. And the third thing is um, a really interesting dynamic. I haven't really looked into it since COVID, but basically yeah. during COVID, what happened is people did safety stock. So there's a, a phenomenon called just-in-time delivery that happened within yeah. the supply chain maybe a decade, two decades ago or something like that. And a lot of them were like, hey, listen, we don't have to pay for space. Uh, we can deliver just-in-time uh, the products yeah. that we can. Um, now people are, now companies are, buying up safety stock, especially of their most popular items, keeping that right. and paying more for, you know, industrial space just so that they can sure. sell it. Um, so think of your lumber yard, think of your HVAC person. Yeah, they ordered an extra five or 10 HVACs just so that they have it so they can sell it. Um, but now right. that kind of influx is a little bit different because everything was on a just in time delivery. And that really did save a ton of money. Um, but yeah, that one's yeah. That that's still out there, but those are kind of the macroeconomics of what I believe industrial real estate is, and that's the headwind, and a lot of that yeah. is going to be raising just based on some of those aspects. Okay, well, it's very clear that this is an area you are focused on and learning more about and studying and paying attention to the drivers behind it. Now, shifting gears just slightly, 
if someone approaches you and, and says, man, you know, I've been thinking about getting into business in some capacity myself, what's one tip you would give to somebody who is interested in being a business owner, being an entrepreneur, whether in real estate or otherwise? Yeah, for me, it was, uh, I, I like to research a lot, as you can tell. So I yep. picked up the library card, got all the business books specifically in real estate. Um, I listened to podcasts, I read forums, I read blogs online, and yeah. I just consumed all that education. Now, if you're someone like me and likes to do that, a little bit of a bookworm, that's great. If you're a little bit more social, I would say get into, get into your community, uh, get, yeah. join some clubs, real estate clubs, meetups maybe some professional organizations and start learning uh, from that sideways or, or maybe even getting a mentor. But yeah, either getting a mentorship um, from someone that you want to do business or the, the style of business or yeah, just consuming all and in, any information through books, podcasts, however you learn. Okay. And then for my million dollar question, I always like to ask people, if you were to be handed a million dollars today, no strings attached, what would you do to invest that in your business or another endeavor you're pursuing? Yeah. And so one of the shifts that's happening within my business is I need human resources. And so yeah. there's a shift from learning what is everything about a property and everything like that to the leadership component of that. So I would say first and foremost, I want to be able to hire and retain and attract talent, uh, specifically okay. when it comes to, uh, you know, the new venture of raising capital and, yeah. and, and different things that I've taken on in 2022. So that yeah. kind of first and foremost goes from that. Um, and then industrial properties. So I, I like any and all yeah. industrial properties right now. My, my niche is geographically. So I'm just focused in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where I live, where yeah. I can kind of, uh, influence. And so, um, yeah, two things, industrial real estate, and then two is, or first is going to be people, um, attracting, retaining yeah. talent. And then two is going to be industrial real estate. Okay. Excellent. Now, if anyone wants to reach out and find out more about what you're doing, learn from you, maybe somebody's out there looking to become involved in some capacity, whether passively or actively in real estate investment, what is the best way for someone to reach out to you? Yeah. So my website is darrenhuang.com, D-E-R-E-N-H-U-A-N-G. Uh, you can do two things on that website. You can first just immediately get on my calendar through Calendly and we can have a phone call or a Zoom call or whatever you decide. And then second is signing up for my newsletter. I uh, have all the access. You can get access to exclusive deals through that newsletter. That's where I break all the news of under contract and raising capital. So, yeah. Excellent. And I would encourage people to do that. And if you just want to see some of what Darren's doing, check him out on social media as well. We were talking a little bit before this, you like to put out authentic content, just what's actually happening out there. So I want to thank you, Darren, for joining me today. I really appreciated this conversation, all the insights you have. You know, it's clear that you know what you're talking about and are living it, walking it out and learning as you move forward. So and I'm certain you're appreciative of the gentleman who helped sideways mentor you. So shout out to him as well. So thank you again. And I appreciate it. And um, we look forward to seeing what you do in the future. All right. Take care.